Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. Um, this is episode 17. So we've been through 16 episodes together. This is episode 17. This will be a little bit longer. It's going to kind of wrap up a few things that we've been talking about over the last 16 or maybe 15 episodes, kind of tying in a whole bunch of points together. And um, the, the mission and vision of our church, Christ through Veil, is the, the mission is to make loving disciples. And the vision is to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. And what is a disciple? We have this image in our church that a disciple is like a tree, um, that you plant the tree, the, the, it sprouts through the ground, the root system comes in, it starts to bear fruit, and then the tree gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is kind of our image for a disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who, where the word of God is planted into them, they're, they're baptized, they're, um, they're growing in their faith, they're bearing fruit, they're, they're loving the world around them. And they continue to do that throughout their whole life. And as they do that, they grow in their faith and they grow in their fruitfulness to the world around them. So the more mature disciple has a deeper faith, stronger trunk, produces fruit. And that's really what we're all about. We are, we are following, our church is a collection of people who are leveraging their gifts and their skills so that we can grow each other's faith, help grow faith, help plant seeds, plant seeds, sprout the seeds, grow and continue to bear fruit throughout the whole life. That's what our church is, that's what our church exists to do. Jesus did this by gathering 12 disciples around him and then teaching them for three years. The early church did this by gathering together almost on a daily basis, uh, sometimes in people's homes and sometimes in the temple court. They didn't have a church building, so they didn't do it the way we do it today. Um, they did it differently. They, they just lived life together. They gathered together for the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, and then pooling their resources to give as to those who had need. In the early church, we saw that that need was mostly widows, um, they, they got overwhelmed by the widow system, and so um, they kind of changed. They went from doing this as the, pa- as the apostles to gathering around them men of God to help in the distribution of the food. And they, they commissioned them, and they were called—they weren't called deacons, but that's what we would call them today as deacons. They're people assisting in the administration of, of this whole idea of the church. When Paul— planted churches. He gathered together a group of people. He formed congregations. They either met in homes as house church. Well, they would have met in homes as house churches. But then he also saw the stratification of gifts, gifts of apostleship, gifts of prophecy, gifts of evangelism, gifts of pastoral care, gifts of teaching, and, and he would uh, uh, gather together people together with those gifts so that the church could continue to make loving disciples. 
And, that, and, and so the question we have to ask ourselves is what is it that we need to do to follow God's great command here? If we're going to grow trees, if we're going to grow disciples, how do we do that? Well, historically, the church has done that mostly in the family because the church has seen, and this came from our, our Jewish roots, in the Jewish system, the head of the household would go to the synagogue and debate theology what is god you know what is god doing and, they, and even these people in the in the temple would look at the world around them and say how do we want to respond to these things in the world around us and they'd come up with stuff and they'd you know they would use their uh, they'd use their apostolic gifts i guess to look at the world around them then they would come back together as a group and study god's word and, and look at his prophecies and uh, and come up with this is how we're going to respond to it and then they would go back into their homes and then the head of the household would teach the home all these things they would have time throughout the day uh, most probably in the evening where they would gather together as a family and eat a meal but then probably the head of the household at that meal would teach their family and, and we, see, we see this even in the historical Christian church very, very much because the way that we've run the historical Christian church for many, many years, probably up until the last 50 years, perhaps, is that we would have, you know, we, we would have a head of household that would eat a meal together after the meal or before the meal, do a devotion, do a teaching um, grow the family's faith, do all those things in the in the time of right after Luther, the head of the household might even grab Luther's small catechism and read one of the questions in the small catechism. And then they would sit around the table and they would discuss these things and they would apply it to the situations that they were dealing with as a family. I mean, it was very, very much a family-centered organization with a head of household that would um, that would kind of lead all these things, you know, lead the family through these kinds of discussions. And, and this carried through, uh, in, if you know of a really strong Christian family, this is still done, where the family eats together, the family does a devotion together, the family talks about issues of the day, and, and brings those issues into a spiritual discussion about how how each individual should respond to things. You know, there's some pastoral care going on there. There's some teaching going on there. There's some fellowship. You know, everything the early church did ha probably happened in the family too. Fellowship, breaking of bread, um, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and then how are you living your life? You know, how are you using the gifts that God has given you to serve the world around you? Um, and some of that might be, hey, I'm going to school to learn a trade so I can, um, so I can use my gifts more, uh, you know, better use my gifts for, for God because God's called me to serve the world around me. I mean, and this worked out really, really, really well for hundreds of years. I mean, thousands of years. This was the model. Now we have a, a, a different world. We have a different world. We have, for example, um, families look a lot different. There's a vast majority of people in our community where the, the nuclear family, a mom and a dad and kids, 
doesn't necessarily exist anymore. It might be mom and stepdad or dad and stepmom, or it might be just mom, or it might be just dad, or it might be just grandma. It might be, I mean, the, the whole world has changed dramatically, even in the makeup of the family. And so, um, and what, whenever it's, you know, whenever you've got these kind of situations, now you've got a whole different dynamic, you know, as what's going around the, diff, the dinner table. Like what kind of things are, are the, these families struggling with? Um, if you've got just a single parent, a mom or a dad, that adds a whole other level of complexity because it really is so much easier if there's two people in a household um, or even three or four, right? But but one person who's leading the, the, the household and doing all the chores and earning a living and all of these things, like my heart really, really goes out to those parents that are in single households because it is so overwhelming to deal with that. I think historically, the church would have said, well, you know, this is, you know, this is your, uh, you know, your bed now sleep in it type of, but I, you know, that was, that Jesus would never, ever say something like that. I think Jesus would say as a church, how can we as a church help you and resource you and find ways for you to, um, to, you know, how can we walk alongside you to, to do the things that you, you know, that you're struggling with? I mean, that, that, and that could be an incredible ministry for a church, you know, a church with single parents or single with, uh, you know, a, a church and ministering to families that maybe aren't traditional families. They've got all sorts of makeups and, and that sort of thing. And, and the church absolutely, you know, should, should understand the need and help meet those needs in that area. Another, another thing is that a lot of parents, just for whatever reason, didn't grow up in a very, very strong Christian home where these things were done. And so they may not have had the training to do these things. They may not have seen it in practice. So it might be good for us as a church to help these new parents, new to the faith parents, like these are the standards of practice that have worked really, really well over the years. And we're going we're gonna to have ways of teaching you that, you know, the importance of this and why you should be doing this. And, you know, a lot of families, I, 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 a lot of families don't sit around the dinner table anymore and eat dinner. They don't have that time of fellowship. A lot of families, when they're sitting around the dinner table, each kid and even the parents are on their phone, you know, surfing Facebook or whatever. They're not even having a conversation um, not you, of course, right? But, but, uh, but the families out there in our community, right? They're, they're, um, they don't understand the importance of the connection, you know, what, how important that meal is and what types of things should be done at that meal and, and how, what a blessing that meal is, you know, to the growth and the spiritual condition of the children and how important a uh, devotion is with that meal, um, uh, so, um, so if you, so we need to resource those parents also, we need to, um, walk along beside them and say, okay, maybe it's not the meal that you do these things, but at some point in your day or in your week, you have to grow as a family so that you can be the disciples that Jesus, 
you know, we want to we want to continue to grow you in the faith and and teach you to be a fully formed disciple of Jesus. Um, all of that though takes takes thought. It takes leadership. It takes programs, right? Um, if we wanted to have a program that uh, developed a curriculum or some way to, you know, a method of teaching, you know, it doesn't have to be a curriculum. It could be a small group or whatever, you know, a small group or whatever, just becoming up with the curriculum and, um, and then gathering together the people around that curriculum and then um, finding teachers to teach that curriculum. And then, of course, when you're a teacher and you're teaching, at some level, you might be very pastoral to the people in your small group, or it might be that you're just teaching and there's somebody else that's very pastoral in, in your small group. And how does that work? And how can we resource people and grow people? And is it just the families or just the parents or is it just the single parents? Because people like to uh, grow. They like to be in lead, in a uh, they like to be in small groups and training sessions around a topic. So if it was around, you know, uh, parent, single parent families or whatever, that that group might look different, have different kind of resourcing than a group of, you know, traditional families versus a group of grandmas, you know, or a group of uh, or whoever. And um, but that shouldn't go on forever because we can learn from all sorts of age groups, right? Uh, whatever training that we do, anyway. As you can see, all of this takes a lot of people at a lot of levels. On top of that, um, should this be done on Sunday morning, or is this something that's done throughout the week? A lot of a lot of single parents, when they get to the weekend, it is you know they are praising God that they got to the weekend, but now they need the whole entire weekend to to kind of manage the household and do the things that they need to do so that they can make it to Monday morning. And um, so the programs or whatever, maybe maybe those programs aren't necessarily on the weekend. I mean, we can certainly disciple people in the faith um, even without. Now, historically, I, I think that you do see a lot of single parents go to church on Sunday morning, go to go to worship on Sunday morning. It fills their, you know, fills their need. But if, but it, but it may, but a, a lot of single parents, I think, out there today, just they don't see the value of that, and they don't have, they don't see that they have the time for that, and they have to be coached in that area. And maybe that coaching happens outside of a Sunday, or maybe it does happen on a Sunday morning. I mean, maybe the coaching happens. Uh, uh, you know, uh, in a small group that meets on Sunday morning, because that's one the only time that single mothers can meet is you know maybe on Sunday morning. I mean, they don't even necessarily have to go to worship on Sunday morning. They maybe they do the small group on Sunday morning and they pick up the worship by listening to K Love on the way to work and back. You know, I mean, uh, and not not that worship is just the praising of songs, but you know you can also listen to podcasts of sermons. Um, you know, you could have fellowship and small groups, you know, serving the community might be done at a different time. I mean, the, the, the whole idea of Sunday morning worship kind of evolved over time because being able to centralize all those things in one day and in one morning is very, very, very convenient for, for the vast portion of human history. But today with the internet and social media and all that sort of thing, um, 
Sunday morning is becoming less and less an important factor in people's growth and faith, but it but it is still an important factor. I mean, I I'm not getting rid of Sunday morning, but what but I'm just saying that it's it's um it's becoming less and less that of of there's so much change in the world around us that that might change also that that the way we resource parents and families and grow faith and and really empower families to do this stuff around the dinner table to grow healthy children you know and to grow healthy disciples um it may you know sunday morning may not be near enough and what we do on sunday morning might have to be modified or changed so that we are effective i mean um we have to be we have to be willing if if really our goal is is to form disciples of Jesus to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world if that really is our goal if that's our goal then we have to consider that we might have to do things a whole lot differently as a church than we've ever done sunday morning may be one part of what we do as a church to help resource families and parents. And what we do on Sunday morning might have to be modified also. And how we do Sunday morning might have to be modified also. We might have to add Sunday afternoon. We might have to add Sunday evening. We might have to add other week, week you know, weekday evenings or mornings or whatever. Whatever it takes to help people do the basic functions of a church, which if you look at Acts 2, it was apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, and serving the community. Those five functions of the church um, can be accomplished on Sunday morning, but it doesn't have to be on Sunday morning. Um, but but, but it, let's say it is Sunday morning. I mean, let's say that we decide to you know use Sunday morning as our time to do the vast majority of this. There's not a problem with that. You have to also remember that we live in a very, very transient world. And what I mean by that is uh, it's amazing to me over the, over the course of our 15 years how many people have come and gone and um, how many people move into our community. They, they're here for a while because they, they hear that Vail is a great community to raise kids. Well, maybe the kids are raised or maybe the dad gets you know transferred or mom gets transferred or the family decides to move as a brand new bedroom community in Vail people i've just noticed that people move around a whole lot more today than they ever did which means that that adds another level of complexity to what we're doing because it means that we will get People who are checking us out, first of all, what programs and things do we offer, you know, internet? They're, they're, by the time they've shown up on Sunday morning, they've already seen everything that, they've probably seen this podcast, right? I mean, they've probably seen everything that we do as a church and, and how we are equipped to handle what they're looking for in their life. And if they decide to check us out on Sunday morning, um, 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 we have to understand that we are um, that we have to really make it easy for them to to uh, you know understand who we are as a congregation from the from the signage on the street to get into the parking lot and then from the parking lot clear direction as to where they go there to get to the worship. And so we would probably want some sort of information booth that is clearly visible or clear signs or people 
that say, hey, we're glad, you know, welcome greeter type of people. Um, and we have that right now, right? Um, welcome greeter type of people. Um, but then even after that, maybe the welcome greeter realizes that these people are new. And so they turn them over to maybe a host. And a host is someone that just kind of walks with them and says, hey, let me introduce you to some people. Uh, you know, where are you from? Oh, you know, here's somebody I know they're from the same or, you know, what's your favorite sports team or whatever. Just make those kind of connections. Just make them feel warm and at home. And if they've got kids, you know, explain, hey, we have a kids program. You don't, the kids don't have to go to the kids program or they can, uh, you know, if, you're, if what you need this morning is to be away from the kids, we'll make that happen for you. If uh, what you need this morning is to be worshiping with your children, we can make that happen for you to, you know, also. Here's Here's the programs and things. Here's where you go. Um, if you're gonna have your kids in our program, let me tell you about our program. We've got, uh, you know, we've got really great teachers. They've all been vetted. You know, they're all uh, they're all fingerprinted. Um, I mean, for for parents that need, I mean, how much you know you wanted? Maybe that's an, an information brochure or something like that. But um, but basically, then you uh, you help guide them, to, you know, to wherever that is that they need to go and get the, you know, those hostesses and hosts, kind of walk alongside them and greet them and get them comfortable on that first visit, uh, and then maybe even after worship, say, hey, how did that go for you? You know, um, we'd sure like to, you know, we we're uh, we're just glad that you that you came and worshipped us, and you know, we'd love to see you again. And uh, if there's any way we can connect you with some of your other programs and help you out in your faith journey to grow. You know, our mission is to make fully, you know, is to, is to make um, loving disciples uh, and, and that you might be a life-changing connection, uh, you know, that we could help you have a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. Um, we do a lots of service events, and if that's of interest to you, hey, we'd love to, uh, we'd love to do that also. Hey, and uh, by the way, we have a, we have a coffee bar so uh, just come over here and let me get you a cup of coffee. And, uh, you know, and then even before that happens on Sunday morning, that there would be, you know, people coming maybe on Saturday night or Sunday and just making the people look, not the people, but the campus look great, you know, putting up the signs, making sure, you know, you walk through it and say, yeah, this, this is a place that I think is warm and welcoming and friendly to people. Um, and then, of course, and then, of course, all the midweek uh, programs and Bible studies and small groups and activities and functions and and serving the community and all that, just making it very clearly visible to people. And, and if people decide that they want to take another step and actually join us on this mission together, that we show them how what that process looks to and we give them, you know, great printed materials and this is where you go and this is what you do and all that, but just all clear um, all, all well thought out, uh, you know, volunteers clearly trained. Um, and all of that, all of that would help the kingdom grow immensely. And we would be an incredible impact into our community because we already are an incredible impact to our community. We have so much that our congregation does for our community. It's, it's incredible. But in order to do that, um, there, there's two ways to do that. One is what I call the megachurch way. And the megachurch way hires staff to kind of lead all this stuff. You, you know, they might have 10 staff members. They might have children's ministry and youth ministry and small group ministry and, 
and uh, serve the community ministry and, uh, and uh, you know, all these different staff members. And in order to hire, you know, to call or to, you know, procure all these staff members, a church really needs to be at around a thousand people to do that. I mean, you can't, um, it just, it just, um, you have to have large numbers in order to have the resources to hire that many people. The thing is, is that I've heard that mega churches are really, really struggling right now. Part of it is the pandemic, but part of it over the last 10 to 15, 20 years is that mega churches um, have to even get larger and do more things and gather more people because it's just, it, you know, that model is a very, very difficult model. When we started our church, oh, 15 years ago, I read a bunch of books and they said, the, the bottom line is, is that the church has to figure out a new model than the megachurch because it just doesn't work anymore. The, it, it, the Sunday morning worship, you know, the attractional model, you know, the, the wow it, you know, the, the phenomenal, you know, the, and there, there are churches out there, there's smoke machines and flashing lights and, you know, big, big flashy music and all that sort of thing. You know, that gets you in the door and gets you excited, you know, especially the younger age, that's what they want, right? And, um, and all these great programs and all this great training and leadership and all that. But it's um, the downside to that is the historical Christian model is that most of that stuff was always done by volunteers in the church, right? I mean, um, the leadership was in the church. The, the people that you hired were in the church. Um, and uh, if the resources are starting to dwindle, I think when we first started, they, they, uh, they said that the average giving, you know, if you took all the income from all the families and, and then divided that by the giving or whatever on, on, on Sunday morning or throughout the week, that it was about 3%. And, and that's just continuing to drop, right? So um, the church has to learn how to do more with less. And um, I think we as a congregation, we can do more with less. We absolutely can do more with less. But what that requires is that we have to really activate some really strong leadership in our congregation. And we are going to talk about what strong leadership looks like uh, in later in later um, Bible studies, in later episodes. But just as a cursory overview, a strong leadership is someone who says, I will take care of this particular lane of ministry. And just give me authority. Just give me authority to do this lane. And I will develop, you know, I will recruit the people. Um, I, will, I will come up with a plan that works, that this is, this is what we're going to do to handle this ministry. I'll come up with that plan. Um, I'll recruit the people. I'll train the people. I'll pastor the people. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make sure that this ministry runs like a top, right? Like a, runs like a top, runs like a, a well, well-tuned engine or something like that. And I will even um, start to raise up leaders within my group so that when I'm gone, I can, I can transition the leadership to them and they can take it over. And if they want to modify it, that's, that's fine. And let's talk about modification. It might be that you get into that particular lane and you say, you know, the way we've been doing it just doesn't work anymore. And so I want to do it this way. And what we need to do is to honor our leadership to say if it's not biblical, not if it's uh, biblical, if it's not unbiblical, immoral, unethical, uh, 
or illegal, right? I mean, if, it, if this really is the way that we want to do it, then we have to have a structure to give them the opportunity to design it the way that they want to do that particular ministry. And then give them the opportunity to share that plan with all the other ministry leaders because they would be impacted, right? Because if, if they've got, you know, if there's cross ministry application, then, you know, how you change may impact the other ministries. And so there has to be an opportunity to have that talked about and, and to have other people, you know, ministry leaders say, you know, if you change it, this is what's going to happen or whatever. And you just get all that discussion out on the table and, and hash it out. And if, if they can hash it out, then maybe it's elevated to another level of leadership and you know, eventually would be elevated to me and I would make the final decision. But we also want to empower leaders to say, this is your ministry. You run it you know, the way that God's leading you. And we pray that you stay connected to God's word so that he, you know, he directs you to how you should run this ministry. And um, you know, look at what we could call best practices of what's done in ministry around the world and, and you know, take information on that and think about it and pray about it and ask God's direction. It says in James 1, if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Um, and really, I think the, the downside of the megachurch is that I don't think there are, there are enough empowered um, because it's so large and because a change can just absolutely throw everything out the window. They don't want to risk having um, strong leadership in the congregation. But I, I think that just is a disservice because part of growing in our faith is finding people with strong leadership abilities and giving them a ministry and letting them run with it and um, letting them grow with it and letting them make mistakes with it and and you know uh, if they make a mistake you know showing grace and compassion having that pastoral level above the the minister you know the the leadership you know that pastoral level above the leadership that says um, you know this is okay. You're, you're still loved by God and, and we'll get through this. Um, and, and the reason why I bring that all up is because a church has to be, uh, the church of the 21st century has to use all the tools, all the resources, all the, all the things that we have available to us as tools to be able to take the, the church into the 21st century. The, the 19th and 20th century churches were wonderful for their time. They did great, amazing things. But the challenges in front of us as a church, as a congregation, are so immense. We need so much leadership. We need so much uh, focus on the goal of discipleship. We, we need all of that at so many different levels that, um, that we really, 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 uh, we need to think about you know how we can activate leadership at all at all levels and grow even you know junior high senior high kids in their leadership skills too and as we develop new programs as we develop leaders this leadership ability should translate into other areas of their life into leadership in their homes leadership into their community leadership into their work leadership into uh, you know, all sorts of different different areas because the whole world is changing so rapidly that we need good leadership in the world too. And, um, and this is just going to require a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. And um, 
a lot of uh, a lot of asking God for wisdom and a lot of elevating people to levels of leadership that they may have never ever had before in a church and giving them the authority and the budget and the skills and the connections and the resources that they need to be able to be good healthy strong leaders in our congregation if we don't have you know as many as we need then let's start training those that we do need so that we can you know do the things that we need to do um it's a big 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 challenge ahead of us it's a big big challenge ahead of us but god has blessed us with so much he's blessed us with some incredibly strong leaders now which is beautiful He's, he's blessed us with a location that I think is probably the most beautiful location in Arizona, except maybe the Grand Canyon, but we won't count that. Um, well, Sedona is kind of beautiful too, but, but Southern at Vale is a very, very beautiful, very, very beautiful area. Um, he's, he's blessed us with a community that is rapidly growing, um, transient, uh, people coming in and out so we have to activate leadership quickly you know we all these things have to be done very quickly we can't do the slow path if somebody let's say a military family moves into our community they're only going to be here two years we can't we can't wait around for six months to a year to say hey would you help us out i mean we almost need to get those families connected to all the different programs almost within the first week or two just so that they're very uh, that they know they're available and and vet and um, train you know if we if we think this is person that should be on a leadership path let's get them on that path right um whatever it is or if we've seen that that person has been a leader right like how can we connect you with ministries and um and be willing to change be willing to reconfigure re rethink things um the old leadership, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this whole leadership thing, so don't think this is the end of it, but the whole leadership model of, of the way we did things 50 years ago is you had a bunch of committees, and each committee would be in charge of a particular area. And so if you wanted to make a change in that committee, that committee would meet and they would debate and it would be consensus. And then... Um, from that consensus, then they would bring it to other committees that they thought that were you know, that were um, affected by this particular change, and then you would see if they got consensus. And if they didn't get consensus, then maybe it was you know it was brought to another committee up at the you know at the at some level, and that committee would meet con consensus. Anyway, the bottom line is is that it could take you know to make one little change, it could take a year. <laughs> I mean, it could take two years. We don't have two years. Um, so, uh, and, and there is no leadership model dictated in scripture whatsoever, none whatsoever. Um, that's just the leadership model that's kind of been, you know, handed down to us for, you know, from, from ad infinitum, who knows. But the effective churches of the 21st century has to create a new model, which is leadership centric, which means that the leader listens to a lot of voices, but then he finally makes a decision and says, this is what I want to do. And then he goes and he talks to other leaders and say, this is, the, this is where I want to go. And they say, hey, you need to do this and this and this and this. And then he fight. But eventually, you know, he makes it instead of consensus, it's leadership driven. And the leader, you know, ultimately makes the final decision. Now we, we've, we don't have time to wait. We've got to make this decision. We're going to move forward with it. And that the other leaders, um, you know, have a lot of grace. And then when the change is made, you know, the, all the leaders of the 
congregation help you know the the congregation through that change because it's uh, you know it could be a small change it could be a big change but it's change and change is always difficult and and just you know having a congregation this is another thing of the 21st century having a congregation where we almost expect change that we like change um, this is this is not the model you know of our parents and grandparents right but that we like change because we know that change means that we're trying to be more effective at the what we do and that we're willing to risk a little change to see how effective that is and if it's effective great and if it's not effective then let's you know let's change some more um, you know I'm not talking about you know I don't know what I'm talking I mean I, I, I I, you know, adding a ministry, deleting a ministry, deleting a ministry could be difficult too, because you, we might find, you know, let's say that you've got as a church, oh man, I'm, getting, I'm running along. Let's just say as a church, you have $100 and your mortgage payment of that is $33 and your staffing costs are, you know, 40 or $50 and you have 10 or $15 left to do ministry. Um, where are you going to spend that money? Which ministries are going to be most effective? And the church should constantly look at all their ministries and say, this one isn't working for us. So we're going to take all those people and those resources and we're going to retool them in a different area of ministry and see how that works. That's hard because if you have a leader of that ministry and people serving that ministry, they've, they already feel comfortable in serving those ministries. But change, it's, you know, I, I think... I think there's just been over the last 200, well, it's probably the whole history of mankind. Change has always been difficult in the church, right? But the change in the world is happening really rapidly. And so the change of the church should happen at least as rapidly or half the pace of the change of the world. There, But um, it's difficult. I think the younger generation, if you're about 25 or 30 or younger, you kind of expect change because you just, you, you've lived in a world of change. If you're older, you know, you might say, well, you know, I don't have to live with this change too long, so I'm okay. So it's people, you know, who are kind of my age, me, actually it is me because <laughs> I don't like change. <laughs> um, that really struggles with change. Uh, let me put it that way. It's my, it's me and my age that struggles with change because we grew up in, a, in, you know, in churches that just didn't change very much. I mean, the biggest change we ever had was we went to, from one hymn to the other, and that was it. You know, it happened once. Other than that, just change didn't happen that often. Well, we, we are well beyond that today. We, we shouldn't keep the old things just for old things' sake. We should see if the old things actually work at making loving disciples. And if it is, if it does, great. But if it doesn't, then we're willing to risk the change to go forward. And to do that, we need apostles and we need prophets and we need evangelists and we need teachers and we need shepherds and we need workers. All that stuff we need um, to make loving disciples. So I think I've gone way long today, um, but this is the Saturday edition. I think the Saturday edition has a little bit more flexibility. So thank you for joining me today. We are going to, in the next week, we're going to actually take some just very unique topics and go through them um, just to kind of let you know, you know, other things about this whole moving towards November thing. So uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, as we move forward in our congregation and in our community, we pray for your wisdom and your leadership and your comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>